Hello everyone and welcome to the GMS Magazine channel. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and this is the board game... Oh, sorry. Hello everyone and welcome to the GMS Magazine channel. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and this is the RPG Interview Room, the show in which I am lucky enough to get together with some of the best people in the world of role-playing games and ask them a lot of questions about their projects. Today's interview is very exciting for me, I'm very, very dear because I have with me Tilo Graf, who is by far the most prolific reviewer ever, probably, with over 5,000 reviews on his back, and is one of my dearest friends and somebody that I would give my life for a thousand times because he's, he's just fantastic. So, uh, what it means is that I'm very excited about this because he's my friend and I love him, okay? And I have zero issues saying this. So, anyway, he's produced a book called The Survivalist Guide to Spelunking, which is the continuation of a book that I'm not going to talk about because he's going to say some very beautiful things about during the interview that any aficionado to Dungeons & Dragons from the yesteryear will know about and probably still uses to some degree. The only thing about this book is that unfortunately it was funded in Kickstarter instead of being funded in Game on Tabletop, who is the best platform for crowdfunding ever and I love them and I have to mention them because they are also my friends and they are beautiful people and it's a wonderful platform that you should take a look at. So anyway, I, I was really looking forward to talking to Tilo about this book and you know, you know, sharing some some words with him because we haven't for a while. And um this is really good. This is really really exciting and it has a number of new mechanics and all sorts of things that makes the survivalist spelunking guide absolutely survivalist guide to spelunking absolutely fantastic and i am really excited so i'm not going to rumble anymore about this i'm just going to introduce you to tilo and i hope you enjoy this tilo hi my man um oh my god it's been so long it's been so so stupidly long since we've actually seen each other and spoke to each other face to face. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's been ridiculous, man. So crazy. How how are you doing? I'm actually doing really fine right now, and uh, pretty happy that something I worked on for ages is finally coming out. Um, You've probably heard about it. It's the Survival Guide to Spelunking mm -hmm. uh, from AW Games. It's the culmination of approximately two and a half years uh, worth of writing, designing, playtesting. Uh, it is a huge book um, designed uh, with uh, Douglas Niles and uh, Stephen Yearly um of a uh of aw games and douglas niles as you know is the author of one of my all-time favorite role-playing game books the dungeoneer survival guide um which is a book i've been using for every edition of the game since uh, second edition essentially so yeah <laughs> okay um before we go into what what made the survivalist's guide to, to spelunking so cool um 
it would be a nice idea to explain to people why you are actually being interviewed, apart from being one of my dearest friends. Um, you, I mean, I've, I've known you since I started my website, so that is 11 years now. Yeah. And in this time, you have written over well, close to, yeah, I was, I was going to say, it's about over 5,000 reviews, which means that you have actually read 5,000 books of different lengths and widths. And um, how do you go through life without people realizing that you have superpowers? <laughs> um, well, for one, copious amounts of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, insomnia, and uh, th thankfully, my superpower is an excellent memory and uh, insane reading skills. And this sounds like bragging, but it's the truth. I can sit down with, for example, a really complex book of uh, that deals with, I don't know, um, uh, complex literary theory or how a type of power plant works. Uh, read that book uh, in a day and then perfectly recall its content. So that sort of thing helps. <laughs> so so ba basically, you are the kind of people who in real life would say, oh, when did you become a scientist? The weekend. And then it would be true. Yeah, well, well I'm not that smart and not uh, that good, but I, well, I try. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, you, you've written an awful lot of stuff and you have read an awful lot of stuff about uh, Pathfinder and, and other games, but mostly you've been into Pathfinder until D&D uh, 5th edition came out. Why, why did you decide to move on to 5th edition instead of just continuing with Pathfinder or waiting for Pathfinder 2nd edition? Um, because you've been very passionate about it. Why, why the change? Yeah, um, there, there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, um, fifth edition actually uh, started putting out uh, some really cool stuff in the uh, indie scenes. Uh, there, there were a couple of really great authors that uh, captivated my interest. And um, another thing was that there was uh, simply the demand. Uh, there were people that were asking me, come on, design stuff for fifth edition. I want uh, to have your brand of additional options. I, I want your writing for that game. And uh, so I started playing it more and it can run uh, obviously quicker than uh, Pathfinder first edition. Um, and um, with a couple of modifications, you can do some really, really cool things with 5e. So that's why I moved to 5e, but I am actually also writing for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Um, one of my modules has been published by Paizo, and um, I've been writing for other systems as well, because um, th this will probably make me less popular with some people who enjoy all those stupid edition wars. Mm -hmm. But um, personally, I think that Every system has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, Pathfinder has advantages uh, in first edition and second edition. Five E has advantages. Um, uh, OSR games have their own advantages, and I think that 
just limiting oneself to only one type of game system can be stifling in in many regards. So I try to constantly broaden my horizon. Um, yeah, and, and and just basically, you are constantly reading all sorts of things uh, because yeah. you you have reviewed different systems and you have reviewed OSR stuff which you are very very much into as well and you have reviewed you know DD and Pathfinder and some of the most obscure games ever I think ever how how do you stop yourself and, and this I know some people are gonna think it's a ridiculous question but how do you stop yourself from bastardizing every single system that you read with, oh, this system with that one would be amazing, or that system with that one would be amazing, and therefore ending with your own system that is like some sort of amalgam of everything that you read? Hmm. Um, I, th I think it's a combination of uh, the aesthetics of the math and the rules of the individual systems. Because there is a lot of stuff, uh, for example, in Pathfinder 1st or 2nd edition that would not work in 5e and vice versa. The same thing goes for, for example, Dungeon Crawl Classics um, and the die chain mechanics that the game has. So. Um, I, I see role-playing game systems and their flavor mostly as and and their math as a kind of as a kind of flavor as a kind of pattern and like like good food you don't want steak every day right um, I, I mean I, I love that but I can't have it every day so so, so sometimes I just I just want some uh, fine falafel and um, for me, it's the same with role-playing game systems. And there are things that I don't want my OSR game to do. And there are things I don't want my 5e game to do. But they are, those are different things. Those are different experiences for me. So that's that's how I keep myself from just jumbling everything together. It's, it's also a kind of OCD thing for me. Um, that that uh, makes me kind of get this little nervous tick when when someone just mashes stuff together without rhyme or reason. <laughs> mm. Okay, let's delve into in that case um, the survivalist's guide to splunking. Um, you have been the designer of of the game. I know the the name Douglas Niles is is, is there. Uh, what what has he done, and what have you done within the game? Okay, um, so Douglas Niles provided essentially the narrative uh, framework um, for this this entire offering, and um, Douglas Niles is obviously the author of the original Dungeoneer's Guide, and his work is phenomenal. The Dungeoneer Survival Guide is one of my all-time favorite gaming supplements. It was the first one that really took a look at the Underdark and codified it as this wondrous world. It unlocked this weirdness of caves and caverns and uh, made it a gaming space. And I'm using it still. I'm act I've actually used it for Pathfinder 2nd Edition and for D&D 5th Edition. 
So um, the, the first question I had when, I, when uh, Jonathan of AW Games approached me uh, regarding the design of this book was, okay, WTF, how, how, am, I how am I supposed to add to that? And for, for a while we were discussing, okay, um, do, do we just want to update this, uh, the original guide to 5e? And I was vehemently against uh, this very notion because to me, the original guide is timeless. And so my personal design goal for the Survivor's Guide to Spelunking was to create a book that would be useful beyond fifth edition. Um, it is designed exclusively for 5e it makes use of 5e concepts but all the systems in the book are deliberately kept as simple and as easy to grasp as i could you can explain each of the systems within five minutes tops to the table and this makes every system very hackable. So uh, you can, for example, take one of the systems out of the book and add it to uh, with your own spin to DCC or Pathfinder uh, for first or second edition or to uh, pretty much any other game you want. Um, so so that, that was my design goal on a mechanical level for the book. Um, on a content level, that's something else, obviously. Okay. Um, what are people gonna find when when they get this book exactly? What what is inside? Oh, a ton, a ton of different things. First of all, uh, my co-author Stephen Yearly um, has spent a ridiculous amount of hours researching caves and caverns because. Um, you, you wouldn't think as much, but uh, since the original Dungeoneer's Survival Guide has been written, uh, we actually learned as a species a whole lot more about the realm below the surface of our own um, world and the realm beneath the waves and stuff like that. And uh, Stephen uh, collected a huge amount of factoids and created a comprehensive taxonomy of caves and essentially provided the scientific framework on which we build our fantasy. So um, that that's the one thing because that that sort of framework keeps fantasy grounded and makes it plausible. Mm -hmm. um, then uh, things things I designed was uh, a momentum engine of which I'm ridiculously proud. Okay. Um, because think about it. Most games don't do momentum at all. Um, I mean, I mean, everyone knows about the problem in DND uh, 3.x and Pathfinder, where people just stand around uh, in front of each other and trade full attacks, right? Um, and everyone agrees that it's not interesting combat, but we do it anyways. Mm -hmm. So um, in my games, I try to look for rationale to allow or and to award people for moving around the battlefield for keeping combat dynamic and in 5e that that issue is actually less pronounced uh, due to um, opportunity attacks not being as prevalent as attacks of opportunity right um and 5e uh, action economy lets you walk around more right and 
but it doesn't really reward you for running around the battlefield and doing dynamic combat stuff, running combats or something like that. That it doesn't do. And I wanted 5e to actually do that, to make fights more cinematic. Um, for one of, one of my inspirations was uh, the second Judge Lee movie. Um, uh, in, the, in the finale, people are essentially hanging from ropes in a huge chasm, and they're having this crazy wuxia fight uh, while swinging on those ropes and climbing around at breakneck speeds and stuff like that. I wanted that sort of thing in my games. And I realized that none of the games I owned, not one of them, had rules for it. And it really struck me as odd. And so I devised really simple momentum rules. Essentially, you walk mm -hmm. uh, a certain distance. I, I think it was like uh, 20 feet in a round. You have momentum. If you don't uh, move that much on your next round, you lose momentum. While you have momentum, you can expand it uh, to, for example, execute a combat maneuver. Or mm -hmm. if you... If you want, you can um, you uh, you can use momentum to uh, in a combination with a variant of segmented spell casting. Are you familiar with segmented spell casting? I do not. Okay, segmented spell casting was this cool thing uh, in old school games, where um, the higher level your spell was, the longer it would take to actually cast. Okay. Um, so, so um, for example, you start casting at initiative 16, a level 3 spell, and then it's finished on initiative 13. And if you get hit during this time, your spell fizzles and doesn't work and you have to make concentration checks and stuff like that. And um, I've uh, also essentially devised a way to tie momentum into that segmented spell casting engine if you wanted to. You can just... Ignore that altogether if you don't like it. <clears throat> and yeah, so that's essentially momentum. If you're uh, coming from a Pathfinder background or you enjoy your 5e more like a combat simulator and a lot of tactics and that stuff, um, you can have a more complex momentum version uh, where you can have multiple degrees of momentum. Mm -hmm. Or um, you can, for example, simulate um, chariot races where your chariot has a momentum and you fight on the chariot or on a stampeding mammoth or something like that. And the mammoth has momentum and you have momentum on the mammoth and um, you can have those super cool cinematic fights where you jump down from this charging behemoth that crashes into the city wall and have this extra oomph that allows you to smash aside um, the shield of your opponent and jab that dagger in. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm super proud of that one. That, that, that sounds like uh, something that could be, uh, that really could change uh, how combat works, but... I mean, not just combat, but in general, the way that we move around in in D and D, because I can see that using momentum to be able to build up, you know, the strength to jump further, for instance, or to, you know, break open a door that is not meant to be, or simply just going through some barricade of people. You know, yeah. I need to go from A to B, and you have a whole bunch of people going. 
let's use our momentum to actually you know play Timberland ping with with these people and just get through it. So that that could actually be a really good song. Oh yeah, and it gets uh, it actually gets even better because mm -hmm. um, you can use this engine, and I've noted as much in the book. But uh, we have this one. Um, maneuver that lets you temporarily disable um, one limb of, for example, a multi-headed creature like a Hydra or something like that. And you can use the momentum engine if you want to create huge puzzle bosses other Final Fantasy, for example, where you have to disable specific components to get to the core and stuff like that. And momentum requires no feats, no class options. It's there for everyone. So um, none of the things in the book, not one of them, requires a buy-in fee tax, a buy-in class option tax, requires that you change your beloved character in any way, shape, or form. Not one of them. That's, that is quite amazing because in a, in a game like D&D that is so uh, you know, class-focused, you know, it's it's actually very cool to see something that can be used by anybody and adds that little edge to to everyone. Uh, and, and I wonder how does it work? You know, as in the mechanically and in what have you seen happening when two people have used their momentum against each other? Because I bet that that's happened. Yeah, of course. Um, well, the, the thing is that if two people with momentum crash against each other, they can obviously use uh, their respective momentums against each other. And if you play with the more nuanced complex version, um, then the one with more momentum will obviously have the better option. If you prefer your games to be more on the simpler side or closer to the uh, OSR design aesthetic, um, then you'll just have two people with the same amount of force just crashing into each other. So th this works as well, obviously. Okay, uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about what else is in, in the book, because there are an awful lot of tables, there are going to be an awful lot of maps, and there are going to be an awful lot of adventures uh, within it. Um, tell me about how, how have you gone... Uh, what process have you followed to actually get to what do you want to add that's actually going to contribute to the book rather than just fill up? Because let's face it, we see an awful lot of projects that get crowdfunded and you take a look at the stretch goals and you think you, you're, just, you're just packing up. You're not adding value. Yep. You're just adding stuff yep. because stretch goals. Yeah. What, what are you? What have you done about that? Um, well, first of all, we had pretty much the opposite uh, problem. So when we were done writing the survivalist guide to spelunking, we were like at three hundred something pages. So uh, what we did was we cut everything that wasn't top notch, and that that, that hurt me and that hurt um, my uh, my other author friends, obviously. But um, we only wanted the best of the best in the book, and um, there are. Th let me uh, clarify something. There are no actual adventures in the Survival's okay. Guide to Spelunking. The Survival's Guide to Spelunking does not contain adventures. It does not contain a ton of fluff or something like that. This mm -hmm. is a toolbox. 
a rules book, a book that I want people to use for years to come. I, wa I wanted this book to either well be be as timeless as possible essentially and um so this this is the grand rule book and uh, one of our um additional books that you get for pledging 39 dollars is the uh is essentially the applied aggregates belonging book and this okay. book is essentially the here, let us teach you how to use this book or one way to use this book with the help of an adventure. So, okay. so, so you're, not, you're not going to be joining everything together in one big massive tome. This is going to continue being separate stuff. Uh, no, no. Um, all the rules, okay. all the systems are in the sub of the sky just belonging. Yep. The, the bonus booklet uh, that we've already funded is essentially a book that, that shows you um, how you can use this massive tome of uh, cool rules and stuff. And uh, it does that by having adventures mm -hmm. and uh, explaining how these adventures use the rules from the survival sky to Spelunking. So you can learn the new systems and the engines by playing an adventure and by having fun. Which is very good because again, that is something that most companies don't do. Yeah. You know, they, they they get out a supplement with classes, subclasses, and new places, and new spells, and new whatever, but there is no guidance as to how to implement it, or how to introduce it, or basically how to play it. Um, yeah. How did you how do you go about creating? that material this is something that you have used for playtesting or how, how did it come about okay um it depends on the system quite frankly um i try to draw my inspiration from pretty much everywhere um to give you an example we um have this uh, this system for units of stock and what is a unit of stock? A unit of stock is a streamlined way of tracking survival stuff. So a unit of stock is the equivalent of what a person eats on a day, what a person drinks on a day, or the creature comforts a person needs. And this system actually hailed from me being utterly bored out of my teeth as a GM, when my players had to go into a horrible hellhole of an environment and they spent sessions upon sessions shopping for minutia. And it annoyed me. And <laughs> based on that, I thought, okay, we'll just have this one streamlined engine and each unit will be one pound so that it's, it's really simple. Right. What can I do with that? And then I was thinking, okay, what, what is the kind of adventure that none of the big systems do well or at all? And I'm a pretty big fan of, no surprise, uh, heavy metal and stuff like that and sword and sorcery. And so I was thinking about uh, some of my favorite old school Conan comics. And the trope you have time and again in them is that Red Sonja or Conan or someone else walks into the wilderness, into this huge desert or into the icy tundra or into this inhospitable jungle, right? And 
everyone dies and they are told you you will die horribly you'll die horribly it'll be, it'll be atrocious uh, no one will ever hear from you again but they triumph where everyone else fails so none of the none of the big systems do that right because uh, in pathfinder and dungeons and dragons all editions um you usually have this uh, this notion that okay you either have the spells to trivialize the environment or you don't and beyond that the limitations for uh, the explorations of the party are usually not the rigors of the environment but rather the strength of the monsters that inhabit inhabit the environment and that always bothered me particularly for hex crawl campaigns so what i wanted is a system that would allow me to portray that high level characters can explore farther into the untamed wilderness that for example level two characters with with an excellent uh, item or spell load out right and so i devised a, a system that ties into this uh, unit of stock engine that uh essentially slowly wears down the party, the farther they get uh, from civilization. Because I like hiking, I go, a lo I go hiking a lot. And spending a couple of days in the wilderness, even if, if the weather is nice, is actually really rough. And sooner or later, it wears you down. And we're, we're not fighting in a crazy fantasy environment. We, we have a relatively hospitable planet in direct comparison. So um, I actually managed to generate the system that lets the GM indirectly control how far the party can explore. And the higher their levels get, the further they can go because they, they become tougher and stuff like that. So um, I'm, I'm also really proud of that one because it explains how those high level heroes can succeed where all others have failed and it still will tax them. So it's not like Conan arrives at the destination and says, doo, 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 I'm super fine, but they, they will have experience somewhere and they will be thirsty and they will be dehydrated and they will not be at their peak efficiency. So yeah. That sounds actually <laughs> quite, quite challenging. Um, okay, uh, tell me a little bit about what the physical book is going to be like what are people going to get when they buy this book okay uh first of all we obviously have offset printing for the main book and the book will be wrapped in um high quality island finish canvas so um it actually feels like a painting canvas um we already have red head and tail bands uh, for the book and um, all our book uh, quality uh, stretch goals are based on backer numbers. So uh, we're, we're actually, I think, quite close to 3K backers or uh, we're at 2,448 backers as I'm recording this. And uh, once we meet 3,000 backers, we'll have another book upgrade um for everyone so here's hoping that we meet this uh, goal but i'm actually pretty positive right now that we'll meet this and 
Remember, this book is only $29 for a freaking hardcover, offset printed, high quality. Same printer as Paizo. Um, so, yeah. That's going to be very, very well worth it, I reckon. Uh, artwork, tell me a little bit about it. What kind of artwork are we going to find and who are you featuring in this book? Okay, um, so the cover is by the insanely ta uh, talented French artist Aeon Lux. And the interior artwork uh, is actually something I was pretty adamant about, uh, and that is black and white artwork. Because we wanted this book to have this old school callback feeling to the Dungeoneer's survival guide. And um, personally, I think that black and white artwork works better for some books and particularly for a book on um, the subterranean realms when we talk about stuff like the lightless abyss and uh, fungal jungles or the crystalline colloid there uh, black and white just works better for me because it makes the dark darker and the contrast sharper plus it's also essentially how people see things in dark vision so yeah um that was fitting. And our main artist uh, for this was uh, Matej Laurentiu. Mm -hmm. And he also did a ton of comics because um, we, we're all fans of the these old school uh, little uh, mad magazine comics, for example, that Sergio Aragonés uh, drew. I hope I didn't butcher his name too badly. No, no, uh, okay. Sergio Aragonés is fine. Good. <laughs> And um, so, so we wanted those those sort of funny comics um, back there, and you can see a couple of them on the Kickstarter. And we've actually funded the inclusion of a whole bunch of additional comic strips for the book. So um, yeah, there'll be a ton of art in this book, and it is looking absolutely gorgeous. And uh, there's a there's a little bit of an example of what the layout is going to be. And you're right; it feels very OSR. It feels it feels very timeless, really. It, I don't know. It, there is something about it that it, it's very endearing for somebody who started playing AD and D. Uh, you know, when I was a, a lot younger than I am now. So that that is absolutely wonderful. Uh, what's been for you the hardest bit to develop in this book? Uh, the hardest bit to develop. Hmm. Uh, that, that that that's real. That's really a tough question. Um, it, it depends. Um, conceptually, to wrapping my head around it, actually, that that would have been momentum. But once I had established the proper language to um, get a hold of it, it actually really flowed. Um, the, the thing that was the most tedious uh, to develop was the hazard generators that we have okay. in this book. Because um, I'm a huge fan of hazards. Um, my, my players always groan because I don't like boring combat. I, I always want fiddly stuff in my combat. So, so for example, uh, this lever that you can pull and then uh, this whole um, container of burning oil floods the dungeon room or something like that, you know? Um, and I, I think that makes combat more interesting. The problem is that 5E's uh, default systems uh, 
allow for pretty neat and cool um, trap generation. I'm particularly fond of the Unearthed Arcana trap system myself. I think it's superior to the regular one. Um, it's easier to pass for me. Um, but the damage values, for example, and the attack values for that, um, they are too high and too lethal for something that is not a defining feature of a combat, but something that adds to it, right? Um, and I, I wanted uh, hazards to be an important part of combat, but not a part of combat that entirely defines it. Mm-hmm. So I ran a huge amount of math and um, tried out a ton of different things. And I purchased a ton of different 5 ebooks, also from uh, DMs Guild and stuff like that, and looked for the most broken and most power gaming uh, components I can find. And um, I wrote one of those huge uh, tables um, so that a GM who is very permissive and who allows them all will still have a means to um, reliably um, hit uh, characters if they so desire. I also obviously have the regular table that uh, is more lenient and more in line with the standard bounded accuracy paradigm of 5e and the usual uh, caps. And this generator is pretty simple, pretty fast, and uh, it allows you to add those fun little damaging things like, okay, this... uh, this uh, strange room uh, pops out this poisonous cloud every five rounds or something like that, and then the cloud drifts along and causes this and this much damage uh, when it uh, floats through you and stuff like that. So um, that sort of thing. And apart from momentum, what's been the nicest and coolest thing to design in the whole book? Oh, the coolest... The, the most fun thing for me to design were probably um, the biome uh, hunting tables and the special conditions by biome. Okay. Because uh, we also have a foraging and hunting engine that you can play um, either as little solo adventures when you, for example, are on your lunch break, because uh, you can play them quickly if you want to, or you can make whole adventures out of them. Mm-hmm. And you can also play them very well as solos, uh, try that extensively. And um, the biome-specific conditions are favorites of mine because I like 5E's exhaustion engine. The the six-step exhaustion engine is something I absolutely adore. And uh, I wrote a couple of additional conditions based on biome like that. For example, this funny, funny, nice little fungal infection called Shroomitis that slowly hijacks you and makes uh, cordyceps look like child's play. Oh, and it makes you really want to seek out your good buddies. And okay, you generate a couple of spore clouds and stuff like that, but hey, nobody's perfect. But there's also this reason for players perhaps to think it might be a good idea to become at least temporarily infected with shunomitis because if you've progressed far enough, you get some benefits from it. 
Okay. Oh, that's nice. I, I like the uh, the double-edged sword thing in it. I like it. Yeah. That's that's good. I, I'm, I'm enjoying that. Okay. Uh, because this interview is going to be, uh, you know, online, hopefully forevermore, and people are, you know, likely to hear it uh, once this campaign is over, um, they can get the book where they can get it. What would you have to tell them to actually convince them to buy this book? Why should they buy it? <clears throat> you should buy the survivalist guide to spelunking because you want to play new adventures. If you wanted to play an adventure with a Final Fantasy style boss fight, you can do that with this book. If you wanted to play an adventure where you um, play the exodus of a displaced people, a la Banner Saga, for example, um where you where for example a whole city is evacuated and you lead the caravan um through the wilderness to some kind of promised land or something like that you can do that if you want to design and play new kinds of adventures and really up your game for your hex crawls for your wilderness adventures if you want to see the underdark in a completely new way then you should try this book. And hit me up on Discord if you need help. Yes, that, that sounds good. Where, where can people find information about it and support when, when they get it? Um, the, the book is currently still on uh, Kickstarter with uh, six, six days to go. And after that, um, it is scheduled and uh, for release in uh, June, I think. So um, uh, actually rather soon. And uh, you'll be able to purchase it on AAW Games Storefront. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and uh, the, the you know, customary question that I have to ask. And uh, what happens after this? What happens after this? Um, I'm actually hard at work on a whole variety of projects. Um, I can't really talk about that <laughs> um, let's just let's just say that um, there are a couple of really really interesting projects um, on the horizon that I've actually already finished developing and finished working on and a couple of others I'm currently working on but I'm not at liberty to say something about them right now unfortunately. Fine, I'll have you back so you can talk about them later on. Fine, don't worry about it. You don't have to ask. That, that's okay. I know that's why you're doing this, so that's fine. <laughs> you know, um, thank you so much. Uh, for being thank you so much. We, we, we're definitely going to do this more often. Uh, yeah, I, I can promise you this. So uh, best of luck uh, with, with the Spelunkin. It would be great if it got to the $100,000, uh, which it would be absolutely... Amazing, truly, truly amazing. This. I, um, I, I want this, and and hopefully we'll see a great deal more successes from you very soon indeed. Thank you so much, man. And I absolutely hope that everyone, once they have their hands on this book, that they realize what you can do with this thing because that's what I'm crazy about right now. I want to see what people do with the tools I have to them. That'd be fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, man.
That's it. Thank you so much for being there. It is uh, truly and genuinely appreciated. If you have listened to this in podcast mode, please do leave us a review in iTunes, which truly helps a great deal to be found. And if you have listened or taken a look at the video in the YouTube channel, please give us a like, which means an awful lot. And it's a good way to help us get a little bit more visibility. I hope that you will take a look at the book and will consider buying it if you haven't got to the project on time. I hope that you will look onto Game on Tabletop as well. That would be wonderful if you did. But until the next time, which will be soon, I will talk to you very, very soon. Take care.